Life Community is located in Gilbert, Arizona. You can learn more about us on our website at lifecommunityaz.com. Enjoy the message. <laughs> Every time I walk in the door at home, cheers and all this kind of stuff. Years ago, my wife gave me a little, I don't know if it's a jewelry box, but it's a little box. And when you open it, it plays Hail to the Chief. And she is sorry she gave me that. So sometimes when she's chatting, I'll just open that. And and she encourages me to close that lid. Anyway, welcome. We're glad you're here. We're glad you're here online. It, I really am honored that you would tune in today. Uh, today we are in a series talking about kingdoms in conflict. And uh, what an apropos uh, lesson to talk on kingdoms in conflict around the world. And so we're not going there. I thank Hannah for praying for the Ukraine situation and that God's sovereignty and God's peace would come to that place. But Jesus' message was not about the kingdoms of this world, but about the kingdom of God. Jesus' message, he says, the kingdom of God is at hand. It is near. It is here. And so Jesus didn't come to preach a sermon on here's how you get to heaven. Say these words and you'll be sure you get there when you die. And it wasn't about how to have a better life. And yet I think Christianity brings a better life. I think the kingdom of God brings a better life. It wasn't about that, how to be successful and all that kind of stuff. But it was a, a message of, of division, actually. Jesus says, don't think I came to bring peace. No, 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 no. He said, I came to bring division. I came to divide father and mother and household. See, the message of the kingdom was a message of division. It wasn't just get saved and try to live your, your normal life, as it were. It was a message of a brand new system of government that came. And uh, it's, uh, <clears throat> the kingdom of God is diametrically opposed to the kingdoms of this world culture. Everybody talks about a Christian America, and I, I hope we're as Christian as we can be, and, and that's debatable, and people can argue that all day long. But the truth it is, the American culture and the kingdom of God culture are diametrically opposed. We understand that, don't we? We understand a good old American. And I'm, I'm patriotic, but I, tell you, I, I have on my uh, iPhone, or yeah, I guess it used to be an iPod, now it's an iPhone. Uh, iPhone, uh, the whole set of songs, just patriotic songs. And I play them when I'm by myself, and I sing them. And I get goosebumps when the Star Spangled Banner is played. So I'm American through and through. I am patriotic. I bleed the red, white, and blue. But the truth of it is, there is a kingdom that is greater than the kingdom that we live in. And it is really different than the country, the culture of the kingdoms of this world. And so, see, Rome always said, you worship whatever God you want to, but give your allegiance to Caesar. Rome didn't care. They had a million gods anyway. They said, pick one. And so worship your God. We don't care what you do, but we want your allegiance to go to Caesar. And there lies the problem when Jesus came through with his kingdom. And they said, whoa, 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 we've already got a king. We don't need another. And they crucified him for it. And doing the message of the kingdom of God, that was the early church's message, it started permeating all of Rome. They said, no, 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 that's insurrection, that's sedition. You can't have another king besides the emperor. And they began to kill, wholesale kill Christians by the thousands, as it were. And so the truth it is, we have a dual citizenship here. Uh, if you're, if, uh, not everyone here is American citizen, perhaps, but if you're an American citizen and you're a believer in Jesus and you got under the umbrella of the kingdom of God, you really do have a dual citizenship. You're a U.S. citizen, and you're a citizen of heaven. First Peter chapter 2, verse 11 says, Dear friends, 
I urge you as aliens and pilgrims. Did you know that you were an alien? And I don't mean like from outer space, or I don't mean an illegal alien, unless you are. And if you are, then Lord help you, whatever. I'm not going there. <laughs> the aliens, <laughs> I was going to say, then watch online. No, I wouldn't say that. But uh, aliens and, and, and pilgrims. See, another one says foreigners. My mom was born and raised in Canada, and so she was a Canadian citizen. She came to the U.S. at about 18, 19 years old and maintained her Canadian citizenship until probably for 25 years or so. When I was 16 years old, my mom went through the process of becoming a U.S. citizen, took the class and all that kind of stuff. And then we all went when she was sworn in as a U.S. citizen, and she put her hand over her heart, said, I pledge allegiance to the flag. And that was the, uh, the process of becoming uh, a U.S. citizen. And so he says, I, I urge you, I'm talking to you like strangers, like aliens, like pilgrims, like foreigners, like outsiders. There used to be a song we used to sing in gospel, gospel church, this world is not my home. Anybody remember that? I'm just a passing through. It had to be a passing. No, no G on the end, just passing. I'm just a passing through. This world is not our home. The truth is we are citizens of this country, but we are also citizens of one yet to come. Uh, in uh, 1620, when the, when the pilgrims came over on the Mayflower, they, on their way over, said, you know, we were under the jurisdiction of England, but we need some kind of a governmental system. So they came up with what they called the Mayflower Compact. And it was to how they were supposed to live and, uh, and how you could be self-governing in this new world that they were going to. And that lasted about 156 years until uh, 1776. And who knows what happened then? The Declaration of Independence. They said, no, we're no longer part of England. And so right after that, the, uh, the, gov the, uh, the, the legislature, there was the Articles of Confederation. The Constitution wasn't even written yet. So probably 10, 12, 14 years, the Constitution came out, and with it came the Bill of Rights. Anybody ever heard of the Bill of Rights? The Bill of Rights are actually the first 10 uh, amendments, almost said commandments, 10 <laughs> <laughs> amendments to the Constitution. And so that's what we have today. And so, uh, but there are bylaws that govern the kingdom of God. There are? Yes. Now, if you've never been in business or anything like that, you probably don't give much attention. But if you have, you do give attention to corporate bylaws. If you've ever been a part of the corporation and you think, oh, those bylaws are just mumbo jumbo legal stuff. It doesn't really matter. Think again, big boy. It does matter. The, the courts, everybody will, will judge you on if you live by what your bylaws said. Sometimes they don't care what you do. You just have to do what the bylaw says. And if you ever go to court, what the judge is going to look at, are you doing what you said you were going to do? And are you fair and equitable in how you do it? And if you are, you're relatively safer than you would be if you don't do that. But the kingdom of God has got bylaws just like corporations. God didn't get his idea from them. They got their idea from God. But there are certain things in their concrete laws of nature. It's not just how I feel about it or what I believe because of how I was raised or my religion says this or denominational things. No, 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 it's not that at all. When Jesus came, he came preaching the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is at hand. So he gets his, his, his disciples together, along with a lot of other people, and he talks to them, and we call it the Sermon on the Mount. We call it Matthew 5, 6, and 7, where Jesus gives the Sermon on the Mount, but in the very beginning of that, he does the thing that we call the Beatitudes. 
How many of you know there was the funniest thing I heard on TV the other day? You know, they're doing the trucker uh, resistance and the mandate or whatever it is they're fighting in Canada. And so in Canada, they were arresting these people. And one lady says, what about my First Amendment rights? And the policeman said, you're in Canada. You don't have First Amendment rights. First Amendment in Canada is that Manitoba was going to be its own province. So, you know, that doesn't really matter to you. How many know if you're going to live in another land, you better learn those laws. You go to Mexico and you get arrested and you think they can't get you because they didn't read you your Miranda rights. You're in the wrong country, bud. Where is my phone call? I deserve a phone call. Tell the Iranians that. I don't think so. You better learn the laws. If I were going to go to another country and live there, I'm actually, I did in Mexico years ago, but I don't know that I'd do it again. But drive in another country. I know I've got relatives that have gone to other countries and they rent a car and go all over everywhere. I'd be afraid to drive in another country because the laws are so different there. And I hear some of them, sometimes they drive on the wrong side of the street. <laughs> and so what the Beatitudes are, are God's laws. Now, if you were, if this were Old Testament, I'd probably be talking about the Ten Commandments and going through those things. Those were the commandments for the Old Testament, and not that we don't still believe in that, but you're not Jewish by and large, and Jesus has already come. And I'm not saying the Ten Commandments don't matter, but the Beatitudes are what Jesus talked to us about, and it's the uh, bylaws in which he gave for us to live. Um, and the first one is the law of dependence. Well, what, where'd you get that, Delmer? Glad you asked me. In Matthew chapter 5, it's right there in your bulletin, and you're going to be so glad you've got a bulletin. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, it said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And I said before, Matthew used the word heaven. Uh, the other gospels used the word God, and they're interchangeable, so it does, it's not different things we're talking about. Blessed are the, are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God. New Living Translation puts it, God blesses those who realize their need for him. Now, poor in spirit has nothing to do with being with poverty. I don't have any money. I don't, it has nothing to do with a low self-esteem that I just think bad of myself. It has nothing to do with any of that. As your bulletin says, poor in spirit means I, I depend on God, not myself. So if I'm going to depend on God, that's the earmarks of the kingdom. It's the first one. There are eight of these. I'm not going to do them all today. Thank God for that. Thank God for series. Aren't you glad for series? Before I knew about series, I would just go for three hours. And, and people usually were really there, but asleep, sound asleep. And I know in those chairs, you would never last. And at home, you would be sleeping already, as it were. Anyway, so number one, number one, I'm not going to depend on myself. I depend on God. I depend on God's wisdom, not mine. I depend on God's wisdom and not mine. So being dumb is not a qualifier. A lot of you people are very, very smart. So it's not, it's not about how, how low of an IQ you've got, but I depend on God's wisdom, not mine. Proverbs 14, 12 says, there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. Have any of you ever found 
And when you got the job that you thought was going to be the perfect job, you said, finally, the perfect job. I just love this job. I love the company. I love the boss. And I love all the things about it. And you just were in love and honeymoon haven, as it were, for the first few months. And then you thought, oh, my word, what kind of a company am I working for? I thought everybody here was Christians. And when you decide they really are, you think, oh, it's even worse than I thought. Or who's ever been in a relationship? I finally found Mrs. Right. I finally found Mr. Perfect. And so you get married, and I tell you, it's just wonderful uh, for a while, and then you re- your eyes get open, and you think, oh, my word, what have I done? Has anybody ever thought something was a good idea? Then you think about it a little, about six months, a year, two years into it, and you think, what have I done? Somebody talk you into an investment and they tell you, you're going to make a million dollars every day. And you never leave the the comforts of your own home and you just put a little money away and you're going to be so rich, you won't know what to do. And you think, yes. And so people buy into no fence, dumb schemes and they lose their shirt and you wonder, what was I thinking? The truth of it is you weren't thinking. You were selling. And who you were selling is yourself. And I'm telling you, I've said it before, you guys are the best salesmen I have ever seen in my life. You should write a book on how you can sell yourself things. The amount of money I saved, I should have been a millionaire. Because you buy two and get the second one free or the third one free or whatever. I saved all kinds of money and about went broke doing it. (laughs) Because you're really good salesmen to yourself. Or parenting, anybody have this great thing of parenting when your kids were little and you're raising them, boy, I tell you, we're raising them in the Lord and all this kind of stuff. And about 20 years later, your kids got to go to counseling for how they got raised. (laughs) I'll stop it there. I won't go into the next one. And so it ends in disaster. There's a way that seems right. It seemed right at the time. But in the end, because we don't see around the corner, we don't see what's ahead. We don't see where that investment is really going. We just know what information we have. And good, smart people, but we do not have that kind of wisdom. But there is one who does. See, Proverbs 3, 5, I think it's one of the first verses I ever memorized as a little kid. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him. This one says submit to him, and he will direct your paths. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Trust the Lord and turn your back on evil. So the way you can trust God, let me just tell you how you develop that kind of trust in God is you talk and you listen. Talk and listen to God. Now, when you talk to God, we call that prayer. And usually when I say prayer in church, there's just a sense of guilt that goes over the whole crowd because everyone thinks they don't pray enough. I've never not once had somebody come to me, Pastor, I'm worried about me. I just feel like I'm praying too much. I just pray all day. I usually go tell them to get a job. <laughs> what I, let me just share a little secret with you. I rarely get on my knees to pray because when I do, I just go to sleep. Who's ever knelt down on your, by your bed and, and, and you wake up with the imprint of the bedspread right on the side of your face? And Terry, oh, you've been praying again, don't we? Be quiet, leave me alone. I tell you, I pray all the day, all, all day long. It's a conversation I have with God all the time. It's a running conversation. 
It's not like I got to stop and pray. No, no, no. Maybe, in fact, matter of fact, that I'm talking to you right now, I'm praying. See, I always, because of the way I, I, I process things, I always ask God, God, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? If I were a little more of an emotional person, I'd say, Lord, how do you feel about this? How do you feel about that? But I'm always, God, what do you think about this? And so, uh, and, and prayer is, is, is not just stopping and putting the world out. Sometimes that's needed. My daughter calls that mindfulness. She said, Dad, what you do is you're mindful. You spend time, and it's, uh, we used to call it devotions, and it's a time where you do block out everything else, and you can ask God what he thinks about this, that, and the other. But guys, these can be ongoing conversations you can have with the Lord all day long. Not out loud. If you do it out loud, they'll give you little pills and put you in the hospital and uh, make you stop doing that kind of stuff. And so, and the other thing is to listen. Now, I'm not promoting my own sermons or my own going to church and all that kind of stuff, but do you know that I got most of my discipleship? Of, of, of guys, back in my, my early days, I thank my parents for what they did, and obviously that was in person, but I received many, many, many things from the Lord from men and women that I never even met. I, back in the olden days, who remembers cassette players? They had these things called cassettes, and I listened by the hour, by the hour, by the hour to these cassettes, and guys that I had never even met, didn't even know, I knew of them, and some of them were famous, some of them weren't, but they opened to me the kingdom of God, and the things that I'm preaching today that have worked in my life for the last 45 years, I learned from guys that I, at that time, I had never met before. So when you listen, come to church, you, you get a podcast or you get some sermon on, on the line or wherever you get it, it, God will talk to you that way. You can listen to God that way, and he will speak to you. He will talk to you. Not everything that, that I or anybody else says is true, but God knows how to sort that out for you, and you can listen to that, and God will help you. The second thing is you can read your Bible. I'm not asking you to read it all day long. That's kind of silly. You need to get a job and do your work. And if it's not outside the home, it's in the home. The truth is, I read until I feel like God talked to me. Not this big booming voice. Sometimes it's a verse or two. Sometimes it's eight or ten. Sometimes it's a chapter or so. But I listen. I, I watch, God, what are you saying to me? What are you saying to me? See, the Bible isn't the book of answers. Oh, God, what should I do? Should I invest in this? I'll open my Bible. It's not going to tell you. It's not, the, it's not the answer book. What it will do is it'll give you the wisdom to know what you ought to do and what you hadn't ought to do. It's like, did you ever, when you went to college, I talked to a college kid the other day, and he, you know, he said, man, you're taking all these classes, and they don't really even matter. He wanted to be an engineer, and you're taking all these English classes, and you're having to write these papers. And he said, that's so dumb. It doesn't even matter. I don't see why they make you take these classes. And I said to him, they want you to be a well-rounded person. They want you to have information and knowledge on all kinds of things. And that's why they have you take those kinds of classes. And so that's what the Scripture does. The Bible will give you wisdom. It's not going to tell you what you ought to do. Should I marry him? Ding, no. Jesus went out and wept but it'll give you wisdom. <laughs> you people think the craziest things are funny. I don't know. <laughs> James 1.5 said if you, if you lack wisdom, if you need wisdom, which all of us do, ask our generous God. What a good translation. Our generous God. 
and he will give it to you, and he will not rebuke you for asking. Has anyone here ever been in a class or been in a conversation, and you didn't know what they were talking about, but you were afraid to tell them? They're just going on and on and on, and you think, I wonder what they're talking about. <laughs> and you just nod, oh, yeah, I've, I've, I've always kind of felt that way. Oh, I think that too. And you didn't have a clue because you're afraid to say, what are you talking about? I didn't understand any of those words you just used because you're afraid of it, you moron, you numbskull. Don't you understand what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah, so we pretend. He says, you can go to God for wisdom, and he's not going to put you down for it. God's wisdom and God's will, you'll find in God's word. See, children, children are just great. They're just full of questions, full of curiosity, full of all kinds of questions that they ask their, 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 their father, ask their mother. And so be a child, Jesus says. Have all kinds of questions that you don't know the answer. Ask your heavenly father and he'll talk to you. Be a lifelong learner. Be curious. And if you'll become that kind of a person, what you'll find is you truly are poor in spirit and yours, my friend, is the kingdom of heaven. Lord, I don't understand that. Lord, how does this work? How come that? Now, I'm not criticizing. Lord, help me think this through. If you lack wisdom, ask our generous God and he'll give it to you. Number two, I depend on God's strength and not mine. Now, this is for us older uh, citizens here. Psalm 73, 26 says, My health may fail and my spirit may grow weak, but God remains the strength of my heart. Somebody calls the church and asks for a number, and Jamie just on the phone will rip off the number to them and just tell them whatever number they're looking for. And I think to myself, you know, Jamie, when I was your age, I did the same thing. Who has senior moments on occasion where you can't exactly remember your own phone number? Not that bad, but it's, I tell you, and, and he says, he says my, my, my health may fail. Who's not as quick as you used to be? We, used, we work around here, and I used to lift half of anything. Now we start to lift anything, and they say, Pastor, 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 why don't you go stand over there? And uh, it was bad when we had a truck come in full of stuff, and uh, the only alternative was me and Hannah. So I felt like a very strong guy that day, and Hannah and I unloaded the truck. And, um, <laughs> and so he says, our spirit may grow weak, but God remains the strength of my life. Be human enough to understand that you're not, don't have it all. God never does get weary. Isaiah 40, 31 says, those who trust in the Lord for help will find their strength renewed. Interesting uh, twist of, of, of phrases here, strength renewed. It really is talking about will exchange their strength for God's. Those who trust in the Lord, those who wait on the Lord will have their strength renewed, will exchange their strength for God's strength. When I run out of energy, I don't just try to go, Lord, here I am. Here's mine, and he gives me his. And if you never learn to do that, you're going to run out of gas very quickly. Those who trust in the Lord, those who wait on the Lord, shall renew their strength. They will mount, rise on wings as eagles. They will run and not get weary. They will walk and not grow faint. Now, I'm not a hiker. I don't see why you would walk 
unless your car is broken. <laughs> but on the few times I have been hiking and didn't have a four-wheel drive or a motorbike or a quad to do it, and we all get these backpacks and you put your backpack on, and this has never happened, but I can just imagine it. And no offense to you younger crowd, especially, uh, anyway, don't, don't be offended. How do you have some Yahoo says, he give him a backpack and he carries it like this. And you say, why you can't, because I want to carry it like this. It's the new way they're doing things, you know, old person. Well, you know, you can put it on, your, don't you tell me what to do. I'm on this hike and I'm going to carry it right out here. What do you say? Sure. Go right ahead. You used to would fight with it. Now you don't fight with it. You say, go right ahead. And after about a half mile, oh, oh, it's so heavy. And after another half mile, they fall down because the weight's so heavy. And so you're gracious and you say, you know those little straps on that thing? That's a backpack. If you would put that backpack on your back and put your arms through those strength, through those little slats, uh, things they have, then you could carry that a long way. So they try it. Wow, that's amazing. And I talked to all kinds of people who just got burned out. They just burned out. I can't do this anymore. And they expect me to feel sorry for them. Oh, you poor soul. You're so noble. You're so wonderful. And in my mind, on the inside, I would never say it on the outside, but on the inside, I said, well, no wonder. Look how you're carrying your load. You're carrying it in your own strength, in your own power. No wonder you're burned out. Because you think you can do this on your own. You don't need anybody's help. I can handle it. I can do this. It appears noble when people get burned out because they, they love so much. And I'm saying, no, they carried their back, the backpack wrong. They carried their responsibility wrong. They wouldn't take help from anybody. They were not dependent on anybody, especially not God, for any kind of help that he could have given them. I've seen people go through divorce and never recover. I've seen people who've gone through a bankruptcy and never recover. I've seen people gone through a job change and got fired and all kinds and never do recover. Because oftentimes they're in their own strength and not God's. And if I could make a rendition of the scripture, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are dependent. Because those kind of people recover. It's no fun to go through any of those things I talked about. I want to talk about resiliency next week. Blessed are they that mourn. No, don't ever mourn. No, no, no. You better learn to cut your losses, bud. That's next week. I can't hardly wait till then. It's going to be really good. <laughs> blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall recover. Number three. I depend on God's timing and not mine. My timing is now. My timing is I want it done yesterday. My, it's really not. I've learned to wait. Psalm 31, 14 says, I trust in you, O Lord. You are my God. My times are in your hand. Perhaps I've told the story before when my son was in Bible school. 
He drove an old ratty car that wasn't very good, but it got him from point A to point D, and he wanted to buy a better one, a newer one. And uh, I was over in California seeing him one time, and he said, Dad, I really want a better car, and I'll need you to co-sign and blah, blah, blah. And I said, Jeff, it's not time for a nicer car now. You're in college. You're working your way through this thing. It's not the time for you to have a really nice car. This car gets you there every time. It's dependable. <coughs> Excuse me. It's safe. And so you don't, it's not time for it. Sure enough, he graduates, gets a good job, and, and, and gets married and all that kind of stuff. And he calls me. He's still not, not getting permission, heaven's sakes. But he says, what do you think? And I said, Jeff, it's time. It's time for you to have a decent car. Because there's a time for everything, Ecclesiastes says. And timing is just hugely important. Sports, look at, the, look at the baseball. Hope they have a season this year. But the baseball thing, I tell you, when that center fielder is there and he hears the crack of the bat and he sees, he knows instinctively where to run. If he's going to catch it, if he's going to catch it on one hop, if he's going to try to make a dive and, and take it all, or he knows exactly, exactly where to go because timing is everything. At the swing of the bat, how you swing that thing, just the timing, milliseconds matter. In conversations, timing is everything. Who's ever had a conversation and you brought up the wrong thing at the wrong time? Anybody do that? I think conversations are an art that you learn when to, not, when to shut up and when to talk. <laughs> Dolores Patterson helped me with this. One time when we were, well, the, the time we bought the Gilbert Commerce Center, and it's a $9 million deal, she gave me a little, uh, a little womanly advice. She says, Delmer, when you get there with those big boys, what you do, you throw the, the opportunity on the table and then shut up. And you let those guys haggle it, raggle it over, on and on and on. And you let them come to the decision. And then you can step in and say, okay. And so I remember talk, talking to the big guys who were there. And I put it on the table. I put the paperwork on the table. And turn up the, the big boys. They started arguing back and forth, back and forth. And I just kept my mouth shut. You know why? Because I listened to somebody. <laughs> and in the timing conversations, timing is everything. And finally they asked me some questions. I answered them. And sure enough, the deal went through. Hugely important in everything. Investments. Uh, just important to when you get in and when you get out. Dave Ramsey says when the market is way down, he said everything's on sale. I'm not saying you ought to buy, but sometimes things are really on sale. You don't plant in the wrong season. You plant in the right season. And the truth it is we, we live on the fast track of things. And I've lived long enough to understand that we all are going to spend a lot of time in God's waiting room. Do you know that? What God has put in your heart, he didn't put in your heart to happen tomorrow. The success we're having at Leading Edge Academy, we've been in business now for 20 years. It took 15 years for it to really get to the point that I thought it was going to begin at. If I hadn't learned to wait and be patient and work diligently for 15 years, we wouldn't be where we're at today. We go to the state charter school board we do our presentation tomorrow to see if we're going to get permission to uh, open a school in Flagstaff. We think we're cleared to go for it, and, but you're going to spend a lot of time in God's waiting room. Look at Isaiah 64.4. He says, since the world began, no one has ever seen or heard of a God as ours, such a God as ours, who works for those who wait for him. God works for those who wait for him. For him, he says, since the beginning of time, there has never been, a, never even heard of, seen a God like ours, a God who works for those who wait. 
He says, see, when Jesus came, when does a king ever give his life for his subjects? Usually subjects are giving their life for the king. And they're dying for the king. And yay, king, go king. He says, it's never happened this way. That the king would actually die and give his life for his subjects. And Jesus says, that's how my authority works. Where the subjects don't give their authority to the king. The king works and intervenes for the subjects. That's how the kingdom of God works. And God will work for those who wait. So if you're waiting, doesn't mean that nothing is happening. It means that God is working. He may be preparing you. He may be preparing those around you that are not quite ready. And the race is not just the first one that crosses the line. The race is when the whole team crosses the line. And God is not only concerned for you, he's concerned for everybody that's going to be affected by these changes. So he works something in you. And if there's a, 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 a poor in spirit, if there's a dependence there, you can understand that. Oh, yeah, God, I can wait while my spouse or, or while, my, while my friends or while the staff or what I, I can wait. I don't need success today. I want us all to go in together. No offense, or how selfish of a goat are you? How rich in spirit are you? See, many times we try to answer our own prayer. If you don't believe that, ask Abraham and Ishmael. God says, Abe, I'm going to give you a son. Time goes by, it didn't happen. So what Abraham does, takes matters into his own hands and uh, goes Mrs. Hagar there and he says, has a baby and Ishmael. And Abraham says, here, God, here's what you said. And God says, no, 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 I didn't say that. See, and our problem is this is not hanging on to a buoy how many know if you fall off the boat in the middle of the ocean or three miles out and you see a buoy there, you're going to hang on to that and you're going to wait for help, aren't you? I'm not leaving this buoy. It's keeping me afloat and I'm not leaving. But the truth of it is, if you're just 20 feet out, you got options. And most of us have lots of options. Okay, God, I'll give you a first shot at this. But if you don't chop, chop and get it done as quick as I want to, I'm going my own direction. I'm going my own way, and I can make things happen. I got the know-how. I know how this thing works, and I can make things happen. And God says, I'll work for those who wait. You ever get frustrated with God? Don't raise your hand. Because I, I, know, I know you are very important people. And you're way too important to wait. <laughs> Heaven's sakes. People wait for you. They come in, they make an appointment to see you. If you're really too important to wait, that's really too bad. Because those that aren't, those who are poor in spirit, get the kingdom of heaven. It's reserved for them. Number four, I depend on God's wealth, not mine. Famous scripture, Philippians 4.19. My God will supply all my needs from his abundant wealth. Who thinks God's got a lot of money? My God will supply all my needs according to his abundant wealth because of what Christ Jesus has done for us. For my own security, for my own sanity, I depend on God's wealth and not mine. The truth it is the definition of insecurity 
is dependent on your job to keep you secure. Because if you've lived a while, you know how quickly that can change, how that can dry up at a heartbeat. You can go from the hero to the zero about overnight with just a few accusations, a few missteps. And so if I want to live in any kind of internal security at all, I'm not going to depend on my job, on my source of income, because God is my source and my job is just a channel. Ah, come on, Delmar, that's kind of ethereal thinking. No, I, I don't think it, I think it's really not. I depend on God as my source and, 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 and my job is just a channel. That's the time right now that God is supplying. If I go home today and I turn on the faucet and nothing comes out, my first thought is, well, my first thought is, did I pay my bill? <laughs> Who's ever had your water and you go out to the little meter and there's a padlock on it and, ah, maybe we didn't pay the bills. We forgot the checks in the mail, all those lies that everybody tells. So my first, I, I, I do pay my water bill. But anyway, my first thought wouldn't be, my first thought was, something, what's the matter? If my first thought was, oh my God, all the water in the world is gone. You'd want to say, settle down, bucko. All the water in the world is not gone. My first thought, there's something wrong with the plumbing. Maybe there's a block, and I would call my neighbors. Is your water off? Yes, it is. So you'd know the city's doing work on the water line or something happened, and all the water in the neighborhood's off. If my first thought was, oh, my word, all the water's gone in the world. See, God can shut off one faucet and turn on another. See, I think for a lot of people, God's trying to get you to reinvent yourself. I want to provide for you totally different than anything you've ever known. And you're stuck here. You're stuck at this one faucet. And if I shut it off, you're so scared you think all the water in the world is gone. And it's not. When God closes one door, he'll open another. God closes the door, he'll open a window. God will take care of you. And you don't have to be only as secure as you think your job is. God's got lots of faucets to turn on, and I think some people get stuck in a career and in a job cycle, and, and I'm not telling you to quit your job, but if somehow God shut that faucet off, he's got another faucet he can turn on. It's not the only way to make, to make things run for you. God's got lots of channels of supply for you. That's why Paul didn't say, boy, I'm really depending on everyone's support. For, he says, no, 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 I'm trusting God and his wealth. And not my own. That's why the umbrella, being under the umbrella is so important to protect you. See, Jesus could have said it. Blessed are those who are dependent. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. God, I am dependent on you as my source. Do I have money? A little bit. Do I have 401ks? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm nothing wrong with any of that kind of stuff. But my hope really and truly is in the Lord. Because I've seen God in my life so many times shut off one faucet, and if I'll just be aware, he'll turn on another, a whole different dimension. Musicians, come back. I'm going to wrap it up. So what water baptism does, and I'm going to change gears for a second, water baptism declares our kingdom citizenship. In 1776, 
the United States of America declared a made a declaration of independence where we said we are no longer to be a dependent of England, but it's a declaration of independence. When my mom became a US citizen, it wasn't that she hated Canada, but she declared her citizenship of the United States and let go of her Canadian citizenship. The kingdom of God is not a declaration of independence, but the kingdom of God is a declaration of dependence. That's how the bylaws work. That's how the Beatitudes work. It's not a poor mouth and poor me and I've got nothing. No, no, it doesn't work that way at all. Blessed are the poor in spirit, those who are dependent. So baptism is a, is a declaration of our dependence. And so you say, well, pastor, I was baptized as a baby. And if you were, that really means your parents, your good parents, they thought about you. They wanted to raise you as much in the Lord as they could. And that's a, that's a noble thing that parents do for children. They dedicate them, baptize them. And so if you were baptized as a baby, that was good. That means you had parents who cared about those kinds of things. But as an adult, or as an individual, they're old enough to make a decision. It's your choice to follow Jesus' command. I'm not going to make you. I can't force that on you. I think if children are old enough to receive Christ, they're old enough to get baptized in water. And people always say, but pastor, do you think they understand everything? Do I think you understand everything? Do I think I understand everything? Do you think there's part of baptism that I don't get? Of course there is. That doesn't mean I don't start somewhere. I baptized my kids as early as they were honestly receiving Jesus. So I did kind of a compilation of scriptures, something out of the Message Bible, something out of the New Living Translation, out of Romans chapter 6. It says, this is what happens in baptism. When we went under the water, we left the old sin behind, and when we came up out of the water, we entered into a new life of grace. We were lowered into the water. It is like the burial of Jesus. And when we are raised up out of the water, it is like the resurrection of Jesus. We are raised to live a new life. See, I think water baptism is a coming out of the closet of your party for Jesus. It's making that declaration, I'm dependent on Christ. I placed my, not independence, that was a country that did that, and we were glad they did. But I'm placing my dependence on Jesus. And that's the thing that Jesus did himself. Because he wanted to be an example for everyone to follow. John said, hey, I'm not even worthy to, to take your shoes off, much less baptize you. And Jesus said, it's really important that I do this. Because millions, billions of people are going to follow me. So water baptism, guys, is the first step to getting under the umbrella. Umbrella? What's he talking about? Sorry you got it downloaded last week. We said the umbrella is like the kingdom of God. The thing that covers you, that protects you from getting rained on by all the things that go on. It's a protective shield for you. Not restrictive, but protective. And the first step 
is bringing Christ into your life. And a public declaration of that is water baptism. So I mean, don't mean to press too hard, but what you're waiting on. If it were Minnesota and this were the winter, I understand get saved in the summer. We've got a baptismal out there to be filled in a matter of an hour. Doesn't that be on a Sunday? We baptize people all during the week here. You don't know anybody. You just want to get baptized. Maybe you and your family, bring them down. Call Jamie and Roy so they can get the thing filled up with water. But take that step. Make that confession. Make that declaration of dependence. God will take it. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you for these dear people. Lord, I thank you that you have made the kingdom available to us. That we can find shelter. We can find rest. We can find refuge under your mighty hand. So Lord, bless, I pray, as we continue to move forward. I pray that in Jesus' strong name, amen.